When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with in-depth stories about the weather and climate and how they interact with our everyday lives. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore, and this is Episode 2 of our Back to School series. And as we head into and through the Labor Day weekend, we are also heading into the peak of hurricane season. I thought it would be good for all of us to go back to school when it comes to hurricane and tropical system forecasts. They are some of the most complex to determine and some of the hardest to communicate. And I wanted to take some time and discuss how we all can use the AccuWeather forecast for these storms to our advantage, staying out ahead of the storm's harmful impacts and keeping our lives and properties safe. In our first race of focus segment, I'll talk with Two of our very own experts from AccuWeather. They work on our AccuWeather for Business division, teaching and honing the skills of our AccuWeather for Business customers on how to use our forecasting information. And I thought they'd be perfect to help you make sense of cones and polygons and the difference between what we think is a better scale equipped to talk about the true effects of a tropical system, the AccuWeather Real Impact Scale versus the Saffir-Simpson Scale, which we've all been hearing over the last many years. And then we'll welcome back to the program our expert senior meteorologist and our chief hurricane forecaster, Dan Kutlowski. He will talk about this critical time in the hurricane season, give us a recap of the first half, talk about some of the general ideas of what to expect this weekend and how we look going into the second half and getting into the peak of this 2020 Atlantic Basin hurricane season. Friends, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. As a meteorologist who is tasked with communicating the weather in the good times and the bad, I get increasingly frustrated at the lack of understanding in terms of a hurricane forecast by the general public. Let's face it, there's so much going on in our lives, and many times you want just a quick read on a storm. But with their complexities and susceptibility to course changes and corrections, the ability to distill the forecast of a hurricane or a tropical storm or a tropical depression Depression, the ability to hone that down to more simple terms has always been difficult for meteorologists. Well, we have great team members here at AccuWeather who are tasked with helping our business-to-business clients and many of our emergency providers who we brief and provide forecasts on how to use that weather information. And I thought they would be perfect to help us make sense of these intricate and sometimes confusing amounts of information and forecast briefings on a storm Becky DePodwin is an AccuWeather meteorologist and emergency preparedness specialist. And Tom Bedard is an AccuWeather meteorologist and an implementation manager. I sat down with Becky and Tom to discuss how you can best use and best be prepared our AccuWeather hurricane forecasts. So as I look at this uh, situation as we're getting into the, the, the real heart of hurricane season, I was concerned that you know, there are times when I even get confused by looking at some of the the forecasts in terms of hurricanes and, and these big storms. And I wanted to bring 
these two uh, fine people in to talk about this because this is the thing that they do on a daily basis. You all are aware of what AccuWeather does to the general public and with our media partners, but then there's a whole level of AccuWeather behind the scenes for our business partners with our AccuWeather for Business uh, situation. And, and these two folks have really good experience with trying to teach those folks, including our governmental partners and uh, some of our uh, specialized clients, how to use specialized software that we have, and then also how to interpret uh, these kinds of uh, forecasts going forward. So I, I just want to start, first of all, uh, Becky and Tom, how are you guys doing as we head into fall here? Uh, I think uh, right now we've already taken some hits here with this hurricane season. Number of storms has been off the chart already. We're wondering if we're going to end up uh, running out of uh, names and have to add some letters to the alphabet before this hurricane season is over. And looks like we're on pins and needles right now as we go into this coming weekend with the potential for more to come in terms of uh, development here in the next couple of weeks. So really critical time. And I think people who are getting ready to get back to some more of their regular team back to school, I have to keep an eye on this. Uh, let's talk about how you guys are doing this summer and uh, some of the thoughts that you have going into this um, major part of the hurricane season. Becky, we'll start with you. Yeah, so it's <laughs> this week's a little bit quieter than last week, obviously. Um, last week, we saw Hurricane Laura make landfall near the Texas-Louisiana state line as a Category 4. Um, that storm underwent rapid intensification, which I think we'll talk about um, a little bit later in this episode. Uh, but it's it's been an interesting hurricane season so far, just given that, you know, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic, and that infinitely complicates everything how we communicate, how people are evacuating, particularly those in, that are of considered vulnerable populations. So it's just, it's a hurricane season that's requiring a lot more thought, a lot more planning ahead of time. Uh, we always say, um, hope is not a plan. It only takes one. A lot of kind of catch-all phrases, but they're, they're just so much more applicable this year. People have to be prepared. They have to have a plan. And that plan needs to be pretty comprehensive. And I think that could be seen in Laura. I mean, I, we had two name storms in the Gulf at that point. We had Marco and then Laura. We, Laura kind of became the dominant one, obviously. And then it went through the rapid intensification. But as bad as that was... There were times I was struggling to find information about it on the general news. And it's amazing to me the kind of devastation and catastrophe, the catastrophic uh, situation we saw in parts of Louisiana, especially Lake Charles. And it seemed like it didn't get as much uh, media play across the country. And that concerns me because there are so many stories other than the weather. It's hard to carve out the importance of some of this weather information, Tom, here in this busy time with everything going on. And I think that news cycle just seems a lot shorter with a lot more uh, hectic events happening inside of every single one of them. And so it, it kind of behooves the general public and decision makers to know what they're looking for when they look at a hurricane forecast or a severe weather forecast and be able to quickly act on what they're seeing then and there. Uh, we just don't have the time or the mental space anymore to sit down and evaluate each one of these threats for a couple of hours every time they pop up. So it would be a good idea for everybody to know exactly what they want to use, what data they're going to look at. And then as soon as they see that forecast or that warning come through, be able to act on it because there may not be 
being, as you said, as much media play about these topics as we're used to. Let, let's start with the cone. I think that is one of the most misunderstood situations at times when I talk to the general public about how they interpret what we're saying and what we're trying to communicate. And I think one of the reasons is because we have to be honest about the errors in track forecasting for these storms past two or three days in the, the, the life of the forecast, right? Anything past two or three days, we're talking uh, compounded errors in terms of the distance of where this actually might go. And certainly we saw that with Laura and Marco, the early thoughts of it going into the beginning of the week and how it all changed as we got through the middle and the end of the week. So uh, Becky, talk about that. What are some of the things when you look at a cone, what are the, some of the things that you want as a general consumer of the weather and trying to get the best information? What are some of the things that you're looking at in that cone forecast? You know, it's a really good question. The cone is what is so often shown um, on TV by national media, local media alike. It's seemingly an easy to understand, you know, this is where the hurricane's going, but it's actually considerably more complicated than that. So what the cone indicates is the, the forecasted location of the storm's center. And as it goes out in space, that's, that cone obviously widens, and it widens to, to convey uncertainty. And it's drawn so that it includes two-thirds of the previous year's errors. So what that means is that two out of the three storms, the NHC was within that cone for any given storm. And then one-third of the time, they may have gone, the center of the storm may have gone outside the cone that they had drawn. I think probably the most important thing to realize with the cone is that it only indicates the center of the hurricane's track. It says nothing about the impacts of a storm. Right. Um, so outside of that cone, you can have storm surge, you can have hurricane force winds, you can have tornadoes, you can have devastating flooding. And that's really the main takeaway is that just because you are not inside that cone when it's shown on your TV or in an article does not mean you are not at risk for impacts from a hurricane. And every storm is different, you know, uh, <laughs> Storms that are smaller, more compact, have different characteristics and problems. And then every storm is different in terms of where the, the things, there are some generalities we talk about, the northeast quadrant of a storm being the dirty part with the tornadoes and those kinds of things. But, you know, some of these circulations can have really uh, jagged situations where there's a center of circulation, but really all the action is well away from it one side or the other. And so again, in these situations, it can be hard to, to put that on a graph or something. So yeah, I think what Becky's said, Tom, is it's it's an idea where the center of the storm is going, but then we have to start looking at what we call impact, and we call them impact polygons, like in terms of what parts of the storm are going to have the worst winds, the worst duration, the heaviest rain, the flooding potential. And then for these storms, and it's increasingly a situation where the, the lead up to the storm is uh, the, the severe and tornadic threat has become a big problem too. So uh, talk about that a little bit, Tom. One of the, the storms that comes to mind is Hurricane Sandy, because when you, when you looked at the path forecast for Sandy, Dean, I think you, both, you and I were both in State College at the time. The, the storm center actually passed directly over State College, but the impacts were so well north of us. And so especially when you get later into the season with some of these extra tropical cyclones that, that don't really have those characteristic symmetries and parallels to them, you see these hazards that are well displaced away from the center of the storm. And so as much as that cone is an attractive tool to look at, we have started to push our businesses towards looking at where tornado risk is going to be, if there's going to be a big tornado risk with that particular storm, and what the storm surge is going to be. Because at the end of the day, whether or not the storm or the, the center of the storm is close to a business may matter if they're near the eyewall, but they really need to know if there's going to be flooding rains or tornadoes, or if the impacts are going to be hundreds of miles away in north of the center of circulation. 
talking with Tom Bedard. He's a meteorologist and our implementation manager of many of our situations where we help our AccuWeather for Business clients. And we're talking with Becky DePodwin, meteorologist and emergency preparedness specialist from AccuWeather. As we look at, uh, we're kind of going back to school here on how you can interpret uh, hurricane forecasting as we go into some of the busiest times in the hurricane season. I think one of the things, uh, Becky and Tom, that I wanted to talk to, this would be kind of directed at parents and and family members about how to communicate. Because early on in the life of a hurricane or a tropical system forecast, there is so much uncertainty. How do we start to communicate that to our family, especially younger folks who may have to get really prepared to make drastic changes to their lifestyle in a short amount of time? Uh, what are some of the things, What are, uh, are there some tools we can use to help start communicating how we can prepare for a hurricane forecast if we're looking at us being in the track of the storm down in the long term? I think particularly with families and kids, the approach should start far prior to the hurricane season. And I think it really starts with understanding what your risks are. And this, I think, can be kind of fun for kids to take a look at where they live, maybe take a walk around, point out places that might flood easily, and then kind of start there and then work your way up. Um, Reach out to local emergency managers, perhaps your insurance agent, they should have a good idea of what your risk level is. And I think just including kids in those conversations so they really know what the risks are. If they're in an area that potentially see tornadoes, that's also something they should certainly be aware of. And then from there, involving them in putting together an emergency preparedness kit. Again, this can be a fun activity. What 10 things would you want to take with you? And make sure they know that those are things like there are any, any medication, you know, food, water, things to keep them entertained at this point, their mask and hand sanitizer. I think just, just turning it into kind of a learning tool, um, something fun, while also giving them the, the comfort to know that they are going to be prepared. Um, this actually works, is also applicable to severe weather. Oftentimes when kids go through major severe events, they have anxiety about it and they get very scared. So doing something that puts them back in some level of control is actually really, really great for kids to help them feel like whatever happens, they might have there to prepare. They have a plan. right. If you if you if you get them ready to go, uh, talk to them about some of the possibilities, and then start your own track. I mean, um, you know, I back in the old days with string and things like we we didn't have computers when I grew up. This is the way we do now, and I would be drawing the track and kind of keeping track of it. And I think some people are afraid to look at something that possibly could cause harm, but I think the more you understand it out ahead and the more you kind of work with it, I think it helps uh, younger folks and not even younger folks. I think uh, there are so many people that, you know, they see Hurricane, they see that track map, Tom Bedard, heading towards them and they panic and they don't know what to do. And all of a sudden they're late in the game and getting ready and prepared. And with this rapid intensification that we're seeing this season, I think that's a bad thing to kind of just shut down. You need to be thinking quickly in these situations. That that's one of the you have to find um, some sort of silver lining in any disaster that happens. And what I appreciate about the COVID nineteen pandemic is that it very early on encouraged everybody to get prepared and get prepared quickly. And so a lot of the resources that people got together at the beginning of the pandemic have readied them for a coming tropical system. Whether they're well inland and they've got a flooding threat, or by the coast and they've got a storm surge threat. If the storm changes at the last second, and I'll explain that in a second, they're ready for that. And when you mentioned rapid intensification, uh, one of the things that we always encourage businesses to do is to plan one or two categories above what the current forecast says would be the landfall intensity. And that best practice is there because a lot of warm ocean water can influence a hurricane to become much, much more intense. 
and where every forecast outlet, especially the National Hurricane Center, has gotten really great at forecasting the track, the intensity is something that we always struggle with. So it's great to plan those two categories up and to use the supplies that you've already got there just in case it snuck up on you. Uh, and you've got a day to get ready before you're being asked to evacuate. The other thing is when we're talking about the cone and then the other thing that I think confuses people is intensity. All right. So when you're looking at just just the intensity, the way the National Hurricane Center defines it, it really is in terms of wind speed. Now, over the last couple of years, AccuWeather's developed a new scale called the Real Impact Scale, which kind of takes into consideration, much like we did with the real field temperature. Instead of just looking at one or two parameters, we look at multiple parameters. That's what we tried to do when we looked at the impact of a storm in a given area. So while a storm may get to category three or four intensity out over the ocean, by the time it gets gets closer to the coast, if it weakens a bit, its real impact, depending on how much flooding and wind and those severe weather, could be a little bit different than the actual uh, situation in terms of how strong it is uh, in terms of the, the wind speed. So I think that's an important thing to learn, and it's something that we're trying to, to drive home. Becky, to start with you, what are some of the things that you've been happy about, and what are some of the things that you've looked at in terms of the real impact scale and been happy that it's gotten some of the message across in terms of these impacts, uh, like in the situation of Laura, where we had intense Hence flooding and some severe weather way out ahead of the storm coming on land. It's a great, it's a great topic to, to bring up with regards to hurricanes. Something that a lot of meteorologists can agree on is that the Saffir-Simpson scale does not adequately convey all of the hazards of a hurricane. Uh, it simply conveys the wind speeds. Um, and as we've already been discussing throughout this podcast so far, wind is only one factor of many that a hurricane um, can pose as a hazard. So what the real impact does is it takes the wind threat and expands upon it. So it's taking into account the hazards, such as you know wind, flooding, rain, storm surge. But then it goes above and beyond that and takes it to the human level and takes into account um, historical relevancy. So how often has this area been impacted in the past? Things like elevation, which is, which is going to impact the amount of rainfall. Same with geography. Uh, the population of any given area. Are there sensitive demographics? What's the number of businesses and employees in in that area? Number of households. Um, So it also ties in the economic factor. And it really is a a pretty all-encompassing tool to indicate what someone's risk is. And there's been several examples that come to mind where the Saffir-Simpson scale rating did not at all adequately convey that the storm was a threat. Tropical storm Imelda, which made landfall in Texas couple of years ago, they all blur together at this point. Um, but again, it was a tropical storm and it is now on record for the fifth wettest cyclone in the contiguous US. It produced 44 inches of rain as a tropical storm. So as I think on our real impact scale, it was at least a one or a two. And so it's really it's just critical that we have this tool that when a storm you know, isn't high on the wind intensity aspect, um, we are still accounting for all of the other potential hazards um, as well as the impact to human lives. And then the other a- aspect of that is the storm uh, can be very prolific even away from the coastal areas where it comes on shore. I mean, how many times as we get later in the season, we're getting into that time of the year when these uh, closed lows or what we then call a tropical rainstorm start coming up of uh, the Appalachians. They sit there for a couple of days, they pump out tons of rain and then can cause amazing flooding problems. Or like you said, the wind issue isn't 
isn't the, the issue there. It's, it's just the flooding rain. So yeah, I think the big key over the next couple of weeks is uh, a few things. Get into the mode of looking at this stuff early and often. Every day, you kind of want to just take a quick check. Then I think, Tom, as you get closer to the storm where it may impact you, you start getting those frequency of those checks a little bit more, get the plan. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable as something's heading towards the coast now to be four or five days out to make sure your plan is settled because as we've been seeing, things are changing in a hurry as these things get closer to the coast. I mean, you run into circumstances like Michael, uh, where you only had a couple of days. The storm quickly formed, quickly intensified, and quickly made landfall. But for all of our scrolling that we all do on our phones as we're going to bed or waking up in the morning, make looking at AccuWeather.com, looking at our hurricane page, something that you do every day so that you're aware of those threats and you're reading the discussions. You should normalize that threat in your life so that it doesn't pop up on uh, behind your shoulder as the hurricane that came out of nowhere. These storms are forecasted really well. We've gotten great at forecasting them in the medium range too. So as long as you're looking at them every single day, even if there's not much going on, you can take yourself a lot about the weather and become more well-informed. Even if you're not hit this year and following years, you, you know the terms, you know what we're going to say, and you feel ready to be able to read that forecast and act on it when the warning is issued. All right, you two. I know you're going to be busy now over the next couple of weeks and uh, work hard. Uh, again, uh, both uh, Tom and Becky work with some of our AccuWeather for Business clients and some of our uh, clients that are government agencies and how our business partners really work with the information that we give them. Uh, as we go into the heart of this hurricane season, I think everybody's going to be extremely busy. I guess a quick prediction, both Becky and Tom, are we going to run out of names this hurricane season? We're going to have to add some letters at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the season. Uh, well, I certainly trust uh, Dan Karlowski, our hurricane expert, and he's pretty convinced that, yes, we're going to have to go into the Greek alphabet. So, Oof. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. When are we going to have an end to hurricane season, Tom? Uh, I mean, traditionally, it's as we get into November, but uh, could it go a little longer this year? I mean, there are some ideas that it could stay pretty warm a little longer in some places here going into the fall. I remember 2005 and 2006, and I think we had storms, uh, what, one even in late into January and yeah, Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah. January. And, and, and we started the season, uh, started seeing the season getting active as soon as May. And so I, I think that we're starting to see this prolonged period where we just have to be used to the potential for tropical cyclones being out there. It's a crazy world we live in right now with everything going on. And I think to Becky's point early on, especially with COVID going on, some of the preparation from other people may not be as uh, as it should be with uh, all the other distractions, but your preparation can be as good as it can be, especially if you follow us all here at AccuWeather.com. Becky and Tom, thank you so much for being with me today. Sure thing. You can follow Becky DePodwin on Twitter, her Twitter handle WX, that's a common shorthand for weather in the meteorological community, WX underscore Bex, B-E-C-K-S, WX underscore Bex, B-E-C-K-S, and Tom Bedard, his last name, B-E-D-A-R-D, and follow with his first initial T, Bedard T on Twitter. Our next guest, also on Twitter, Helicity Man, our Chief Hurricane Forecaster Dan Kotlowski is in the house. He'll talk about this wild start to the hurricane season. We're entering the peak season and what to expect in the second half. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather gaining knowledge on terms like 
What's a nor'easter? Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun of week two of our Mac to School series as we get ready for the Labor Day weekend and the week beyond. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVord. As we enter this coming week, it is the peak of our long hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin. Thought it was a good week to get some good learning opportunities about hurricanes. Thanks again to Becky DePondwin and Tom Bedard for that great discussion on how to use and interpret hurricane forecasts a little bit better when you see them. Certainly someone who has been tirelessly assessing and helping shape those forecasts through the first part of the hurricane season and will continue to be a busy person here as we go through the peak and then what looks to be an elongated hurricane season and everything that uh, we're seeing so far. Our uh, expert senior meteorologist, Dan Kutlowski. Dan, it's good to be with you. It's been a few weeks. Uh, wow. It just seems like this hurricane season comes in waves. Uh, we get uh, kind of like bursts of storms, uh, including, you know, that time when we had Isaias, and then we had the two storms in the Gulf last week, culminating in the catastrophic uh, situation with Laura. It looks like as we've gone through this past week into this upcoming weekend, while we have players on the field, Dan, uh, we don't have anything that we have to worry about too much for the lower 48. But I wanna, I wanted to kind of start with you talking about some of the things that we talked with, uh, with Becky and Tom about. I know to some people, the hurricane forecast situation can be confusing, especially when we got all these uh, cones and graphs and things. As you're uh, advising people who aren't as meteorologically savvy as you and I and some of the other folks are, what, what are some of the things that you kind of tell the people who are just everyday people that are looking at some of this to try to give them some help when we're looking at hurricane forecasts here in this peak season? Well, the thing that I try to do is I try to assess what their tolerance is with the weather. So some people can tolerate certain things. So hmm. let's say you live at, at, along the coast and your house is on a slab and you're not up very high, your tolerance for storm surge is pretty low. Right. So, and of course the wind as well. But most people don't live right on the coast. They live away from the coast. Those people that live at the coast, again, they have to evacuate, obviously. And they're, they're, the local uh, government officials are going to make them uh, evacuate. But, but I, what I find is people who live 20, 30 miles away from the coast, they're the ones that have to make a question. Do I leave where I am? Do I go to a motel, you know, 100 miles inland? Do I go to my uncle, to my, to my brother, whatever, you know? And so that's what I try to tell them. I try to tell them, that you have to know that before the storm hits. And way before the storm hits, that's what is part of what is called the hurricane plan. And know what your tolerance is with respect to the hurricane. So if a hurricane's coming straight at you, in most cases, I tell people, if you live within 30, 50 miles of the coast, your best move is probably to go somewhere else. You know, take your family, whatever, for 24, 36 hours to get away from it. If the hurricane hits your property, you're going to have to have all kinds of information to say, hey, I own this, I own that car, I own this, I own my house, whatever, so that if there is damage, trees all over the place, at least you will be able to tell the local officials that you do own property, you know. So, and that's the biggest mistake people make when they leave. They forget the fact that, what they used to have may not look what it looks like if, if they're slammed by a category three, four, five hurricane. So here we are, Dan. Uh, we are, if you look at all the graphs, I mean, this uh, next uh, 
eight days. We're ramping up uh, September 10th, I think, right? The, the numerical peak for yep. in terms of number of storms, uh, tropical storms and hurricanes that could be on the map at a given time. September 10th seems to be the day that it's uh, we could have the most of that. And then it kind of starts ramping down. There's kind of a little couple of peaks there in October. And then, you know, it uh, goes all the way down to the bell curve down to the to the lowest points as you get into November and, and December. Now, there are some signs that this thing could go on a little bit longer, to, you know, with the warmer weather that we're seeing kind of holding on farther into uh, longer into the fall period. But uh, uh, maybe your thoughts about the first half. I mean, we've had certainly everything we expected, numbers and uh, the catastrophic and problems with the uh, with uh, these storms interacting with the coast and with land. And so uh, here we go halfway through and with the peak coming and we know that we're in a, a cycle now where we're just in, in a lot of storms that could form and, and could be problematic here the next couple of weeks. You know, we've had a really, really active uh, first half of the of the season thus far, there's no doubt that the reason for that has been the warm water and the fact that we've we've had some really unique opportunities for storms to develop. Early in the season, most of the development is from, you know, frontal systems, weak upper level features, uh, features that aren't even in tropics. During this time of the year, almost all development takes place because of features that are coming into the tropics and are interacting with the warm water. Now, the one storm that we're watching currently as of um, during the mid part of the week here is Omar. And Omar actually was a, uh, an area of low pressure actually formed off of a front. So that's kind of storms that we see developing earlier in the season. So we can still see those. But this time of the year, so much easier if you have a strong enough front to come into the into the warm water, you're going to see uh, development. So the first half of the season been very, very active. And I remind people the the peak does not mean that the season starts waning. It doesn't right, do right. it that way in some years. In fact, this year we have an, a unique situation because not only we have warm water, but we also have a developing La Nina, that, which simply means that the westerlies are going to be less likely to dip down into the Atlantic, into the Southern Atlantic early in the season. So this predicates the possibility that we might have a lot of development, not only in September, but perhaps October as well. Uh, in my mind, I think we're all going to have to learn the Greek alphabet. Yeah, that's that would be the next move. If we run out of names, which is uh, certainly now a likelihood that, that we would go to, uh, uh, what is it, Alpha? Alpha, Beta, Gamma. Gamma, Delta, right? Would be the yep the first four. So uh, let's uh, just kind of talk some generalities into this coming weekend. Um, you know, we've seen some uh, systems move through the Great Lakes and into the Northeast, could be some showers and thunderstorms, but then it looks like a really nice air mass carves out Great Lakes uh, into the early part of the weekend and then through the entire weekend, uh, Northeast, New York City, up through uh, up through New England. Uh, you know, it's not always a guarantee those areas get some nice weather for Labor Day as we're getting into uh, September most of the time. And this is a later Labor Day than uh, some others that we see d depending yeah. on the calendar. So yeah, that area is going to be in great shape here, it looks like, as we go through the holiday weekend. And uh, it could be a while before another tropical system gets up into that neck of the woods here as we look at the long-term situation. Exactly. Uh, right now, looks like, again, because the fact that we're going to have this nice refreshing air mass coming into the Northeast here as we get into the first uh, part of the uh, holiday weekend, what, what is happening when you look at the upper level wind flow is the westerlies, the strong westerlies, are dipping down 
across Missouri and all the way down, probably all actually all the way into the Carolinas. So that means the flow's all westerly. That means if a storm were to develop like in the Caribbean or out in the Atlantic, it would be unlikely to be able to, to go through that. It's, it's almost like crossing a superhighway that has like 20 lanes, you know. Uh, you would not be able to cross that whatsoever without getting hit. So between the tropics and that westerly wind flow is this large cigar shape or zucchini shaped high pressure area, whatever you want to call it, that sits over the southeast United States. And so all the active weather in the tropics is going to go to the south of that big high pressure area. And so that's why the, the Caribbean, maybe the southern Gulf of Mexico would be the most vulnerable areas for the next several days. But eventually what happens in the long range is the upper level feature lifts out. Right. Uh, there's older forecasters that I used to work with years ago and always talked about that when you get a dip in a jet stream, you know, in the late summer like this, right. it's always followed about six to 10 days by a big upper level high pressure area. It warms up, you know. But so, it makes sense because for every action, there's an opposite reaction. And so, yeah. and then, you know, we call that the rubber band theory or of uh, meteorology. You snap it in one direction, it's going to snap back. So, yeah, as we go into early next week, I mean, we're talking about the 10 to 20 degree below normal temperatures uh, with this cool air coming in from Canada down as far as, I mean, St. Louis is going to, I mean, St. Louis is not, it has had some hotness this summer, but they've had some, these nice recent cool downs. So St. Louis and Chicago and Detroit will stay below normal. Near normal along the eastern seaboard, really a, a nice weekend there. Uh, the heat is building again in the west after kind of being camped in the south central part of the country. Uh, it looks like it's shifting back. So there's that kind of opposite reaction. It's cool in the middle of the country, but early next week, we're looking at 10 to 20 degree below uh, above normal temperatures, Los Angeles all the way up to Seattle next week. Again, we're going to see some exceptionally cool weather, you know, again, like you said, coming into the eastern United States next week. Uh, so it cools down this weekend uh, to some degree, but then we've got at least two other fronts that cross uh, through the northeastern United States. And it's a second front that looks really impressive. But again, that maintains those westerlies uh, in across the uh, northern half of the country. And as you said, cooler air is going to get all the way down into the, in, even into the south. We're thinking that probably we'll see a frontal system getting all the way down into like Texas and, and perhaps all the way down uh, into the deep south as well as we go into like the middle of next week. So again, talk about a really wild pattern uh, setting up for next week just simply uh, with uh, some sub, uh, substantial cool air. We, I was looking at some, <laughs> some information earlier today and it actually could snow in parts of the northern Rockies, you know, during early next week from this system. Dan, yeah, it's uh, incredible that, uh, yeah, we're here at this point already where we're getting these changes now with the, the possibility of snow and then summer back and forth we go in some of these places. So as you go through the next couple of weeks, Dan, as you're looking at this, what are some of the keys that you're going to look at, you know, like they do on the, uh, a sports report? Keys to the game here in the second half of the hurricane season. What are the things that you're watching to keep an eye on for the second half of the season? Again, the big thing I'm going to be watching is how this colder air coming into the eastern and northern United States and how that's going to impact this large high pressure area across the Atlantic. Uh, long range computer models are actually showing at least uh, maybe two or three storms trying to develop next week, you know, as we go into 
next week. So there is going to be opportunity for these to head toward the Caribbean. But with the dramatic change that we're going to see taking place over the eastern United States, especially off the East Coast, there's a possibility one of these may try to curve around into the West Atlantic, but the odds of it going into the United States look pretty slim right now, just simply because there's going to be so much uh, energy coming from west to east over the northeastern U.S. But there is maybe a couple of days of opportunity there next week before that last front goes through. There could be a weakness allowing a storm to come close to the eastern United States. But again, right now, current computer models are not forecasting that. Meteorologically speaking, that's been the big feature of the summer, this weakness along the uh, East Coast. It's been spinning up, you know, near uh, tropical storms, uh, you know, and then once we get to the tropical storm, it's uh, it's been spinning up fast. And obviously the rapid intensification that we're seeing, still a lot of warm water in these places, Caribbean and into the Gulf of Mexico for these storms to really get going. Well, you get to halfway and you think that you, you can see the finish line, but it looks like it's going to be a busy second half. Dan, you and your team have been doing an amazing job. Thank Thank you for all you do. Okay, thank you, Dean. Yeah, we're going to be watching Nana, Omar, and all of the rest of the alphabet, and we'll see if Dan's right and we get into the Greek alphabet. You can keep track on breaking weather and AccuWeather on our Twitter accounts. We're also on Facebook, AccuWeather on Facebook as well. And, of course, all of our stories on our website, AccuWeather.com. You can check out our AccuWeather network And certainly we have many great media partners throughout the country, uh, all keeping you up to date as we head into, through, and beyond the Labor Day weekend and into this second half uh, of the hurricane season. And it looks like it could be an interesting one. We've been a busy uh, place for the last couple of weeks with all the hurricane and other activity in the weather. We'll be continuing to be busy, and we thank all of our AccuWeather team members for all their hard work over the last several weeks, and as we head into this uh, September time, bleary-eyed with the uh, hurricane forecast looking to pick up again, it is going to be an interesting time. Coming up next week, we'll spend some time talking about how you can prevent electronic and other damage to your appliances when one of these storms comes into your neighborhood. And we'll also talk about other interesting aspects of where your life meets weather and climate and everything in between. That's coming up next week on Everything Under the Sun. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, I'm meteorologist and hosting DeVore. Have a great, safe, and happy holiday weekend. Happy Labor Day. And we'll see you next week for Episode 3 in our back-to-school series of Everything Under the Sun. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of AccuWeather's podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.